Okay, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to talk to uh, one of the co-hosts of Tasting Together. That airs Saturday at 5 o'clock. I'm in the car constantly at that hour, but I will admit it's not just at red lights. It's not just at train crossings. Sometimes I'm in my driveway and I'm catching the end of the segment, along with uh, Andre Maroki. Uh, Tong is on the show with uh, Andre Pruhl, and it's great to have you on to talk about um, kind of an important Important month on the calendar, Asian Heritage Month. So I appreciate you coming on to uh, amplify the need for it, what's changed about it, and all that stuff. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Greg. And I feel very flattered that you sit in the driveway to catch the end of the show. <laughs> it's either that I'm, I'm sometimes I'm finishing food that I don't want my wife to know I purchased <laughs> two hours before uh, a big dinner is going to happen. Um, so it's a, I, I can kill two birds with one stone. I can listen to you guys and and finish off my French fries or something like that. I think that's <laughs> get 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 you hungry all over again. That's right. Yeah, it's a more an appetizer for the uh, for the appetizer. Asian Heritage Month started in 2002, so we're 21 years in. I, I'm gonna guess this was this was a landmark moment to to have the month you know recognized and acknowledged by the federal government of the day. Wouldn't it have been? I, it is, Greg, and it's interesting to me because if I was completely honest, it never seemed to have the legs that it's really gotten in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, even this year, I was speaking to some of my friends and I was talking about Asian Heritage Month because I've done some uh, activations and events around in the last couple of years. And they're like, when is that again? And I was like, dang, it just really doesn't seem to have the same poignancy that Black History Month does or some other notable times of the year. And I had to think about that. And I, I think truly one of the reasons why is you know, there's been a lot of um, kind of, I guess, like a, a spotlight has really been sh shined on some of the injustices that's happened around Asian Canadians and Asian Americans over the last couple of years. And, you know, there was a very, very specific tragic event that happened in 2021, which was the mass shootings in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But even beyond that, we've been, you know, I, I know internally, at least with my community or just something that I've noticed is that there and, and statistically, right, like this is something that Statistics Canada has put out and there's been statistics from the FBI in the States. But they're showing that since the pandemic in 2020, there's been hundreds and hundreds of increased reportings of anti-Asian incidents and violence towards Asian people. And it has been um, one of the reports is that there's been a staggering increase of 878 percent. Um, instances of violence since 2019 and a lot of it actually goes unreported so this is just the reported incident so I think in light of all of that um, there's this kind of movement amongst amongst the Asian community that's saying that we won't be silent anymore and we want to speak up and part of that is also being able to do something like Asian Heritage Month where you have an opportunity to celebrate and educate the kind of amazing mosaic of people in the Asian and Pacific Islander community. And there's so much of it throughout Canada. There's so much of it in Toronto proper um, that we'll be able to get into in a couple minutes. You, you raised something interesting that I'm sure people would wonder about when the pandemic started and, you know, you're seeing video from China and news reports from China. It, 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 do you already have, Maroki, your, your spidey sense tingling thinking? Anybody who's Asian is going to to feel a little bit of people's frustration or wrath. It's not right, but are you anticipating it based on, oh, this is this is the last this is the last thing um, that that we we would look forward to out out of a global pandemic is people being so ignorant and hateful about, about the origins of it. 
I actually never thought that it would happen that way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's naivety or I just simply believe that people would not necessarily affiliate something that is, you know, sort of like an act of God global phenomenon, an illness or a pandemic to be um, associated with a people just because it came out of a certain country. And and I think and but the thing is, the interesting thing is, is if I think about a previous generation, so obviously there was the SARS epidemic that happened, mm-hmm. I think it, it must be almost two decades ago at this point. Um, I was a child when it was happening, so I didn't really think much about it. But I ended up speaking with several, you know, um, like uh, several people who were a bit older than I was, and they were telling me that they actually experienced similar um, I guess like discrimination during that time, and so when 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 um, when the COVID nineteen pandemic happened, they actually were anticipating it happening. Mm-hmm. For me, it was more of a shock. It was more of a shock, and it didn't really start with watching like seeing um, videos or news coverage of acts of hate happening. It was actually just in my own in my own circle. Almost every single person I knew who was of Asian descent, were sharing personal stories, anecdotal stories of suddenly being mistreated on the street, things being said to them, um, being pushed, even just weird things like, you know, um, you know, like someone diving out of the way when they started walking down the street. So just small instances like that, that was what started opening my eyes. And then came all the news coverage of anti-Asian racism. The numbers, the numbers are really stark and they're obviously in a lot of major Canadian cities. And and I just I know it's easy. It's easy for me to say I'm a big believer in judging people by their individual actions and, and making them accountable for their individual actions. But I also know it's not that easy. It, it's easy for me to say that. And somebody um, who's who's Muslim after after 9-11 had a really you know, where I, I was living in Michigan in the States at the time, there were. Um, heavily um, Arabic communities, and they had a really, really tough time with the same things, graffiti and uh, and hate speech and people driving their cars by and yelling something out the window. And I'm thinking, you know, and and also also they moved they moved to North America in the States or Canada for a reason. And they moved here because they knew it was a little more of a melting pot and and it would be different. Maybe maybe they're escaping something. Maybe they're not. But I'm like, what? A, it's terrible to think about how we really think of each other as Canadians and and accepting each other and knowing um, that that this took some really dark turns over the last few years. And, and it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the silver lining among some of all of this has been happening is that finally a long time, you know, after a long time, we are raising awareness and we are beginning to peel back the layers of you know, history that we've never really looked at before, Um, even, you know, and I I think it's it's a darker point of history, but it allows, I guess, an opportunity to celebrate nuances as well. Like, you know, one of the things that I never really um, dug too deeply into for a long time, and I think it's because a lot of times we just grow up in it, we're ingrained in it. But the Asian model minority myth is something that has been entrenched around my identity for a long time. And part of that, you know, is that idea that we are high performers and we're we're really smart. And a lot of times people even joke to me a long time. They're like, well, at least your stereotype's positive. So, you know, I this, you know, I joked about this with my friends who are who are black or who are brown, and they would say, like, well, at least your stereotype is like good. And if you think about it, it actually is bad for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. It makes it worse mm-hmm. for them 
because now you know you have the stereotype that black people could be or criminals are incompetent which is completely untrue and it's because it's based off this other myth that all Asian people are high performers and are super smart and are, you know, dominating, um, you know, like as as lawyers and doctors. And there's there's actually a statistic out there that shows that the poverty rate of Chinese Canadians is actually double that at white Canadians at 22 percent. So that's already a myth, you know, that's yeah. that's being kind of like um, uh, demystified, I guess, so so to say. And it shows that, you know, that Asians are being all in one category and that's why you know in in the states they call it asian and pacific islander month because i think people who identify as pacific islanders they have a nuance they have a different identity asians and southeast asians it's like we're not just one category of people too Mm -hmm. and that's something that i think a lot of times us especially in a generation i'm 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 canadian born chinese so i just sort of was born into a society and i i grew up in kitchener waterloo which was predominantly um germanic you know, Germanic white, I, I Caucasian, I essentially was the only kid in my school who was Asian um, for many, many, many years. And it's one of those, maybe there's these systemic things that are in place. And we just we live in we embody it because it was our norm. And only and in this, and how lucky are we in this day and age that, you know, now in my now, you know, decade, a couple decades later in my adulthood, I actually have the opportunity to look at it, to look at it with critical eye, to address it, to maybe even undo some of my own internalized racism that I had growing up trying to fit into society and maybe put a voice to some things that my parents could either could not or would not put a voice to because it just sim- there simply wasn't the language there to address it yet. Maroki Tong is joining us on uh, 640 Toronto on Toronto Today. Uh, we're talking about Asian Heritage Month. She, of course, co-hosts talk uh, on uh, on uh, 640 Toronto every Saturday at 5 o'clock, Tasting Together. I think you nailed how there's been generational changes here. I'm raising two teenagers, both boys, and whether it's going to school or whether it's on their soccer team. My youngest soccer team's a regular United Nations. There are Asian kids and Iranian kids and Indian kids and there are um, Pakistani kids. And I'm I'm thinking he's getting he was he's been getting exposure to that Maroki since he was eight or nine years old. And you grew up in KW. I grew up in London and London was as white, if not more than Kitchener (laughs) Waterloo. So I started making black friends, Asian friends, Jewish friends. I, I didn't know anything about the Jewish culture until I went to Western in London. And everybody comes to Western for university. And and I just, that's when diversity kind of hit me, but it took me till 18. Everybody I associated with hung around could ever try and associate with just look like me. And that, that doesn't really open your eyes up to people celebrating people's differences. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's interesting. One of the smallest things that I notice a lot of times is around food. And I guess, you know, <laughs> and maybe that's why I love being on Tasting Together with Andre because we get a chance. It's like food brings people together mm-hmm. and it food's a great entry point into education. And my my partner's from a very small town in Massachusetts. So similarly, you know, there's not too, too much cultural diversity there. And whenever we go back and visit um, one of the really close family friends, she's always talking about crab rangoons as if it's some form of Japanese food. It's literally like fake crab that's deep fried in a wonton with a pile of cream cheese. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, no, no. I OK, let me let me feed you. Let me find a way to feed you some you know, food. And let me tell you that sushi doesn't necessarily include crab <laughs> rangoons. But um, it, but it shows, you know, if you don't even ha- have an opportunity to look at someone else's food and if you judge it, I remember bringing like 
you know, sticky rice to school and people would look at it with, and its leaf and be like, what are you eating? That is so strange. And and the thing is, it's like that's already the first form of like a lack of diversity. And, you know, but the positive point of that is like, you know, food can also be such a great way to give it to someone and he tastes and they're like, oh, my God, that's actually really good. Let me not kind of confine myself in this box around like my preconceived notions around food. And if you kind of expand that towards people and culture and history, it it, it can, you know, really be an opportunity for us to understand each other a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's so well said. What is how does Toronto land for you for an international city and a city that does bring more people together? I, I always say this and I've been saying it a lot lately with some of the crime issues and the transit issues and, and the fact, you know, people might be a little more alarmed by some of the news stories than they were a few years ago, is that the big cities, big cities are always going to have big city problems. They are. But I, I wonder how how you see it and whether you see us sort of moving in the right direction are we moving in the right direction wrong direction one step forward two steps back how, how do you sort of view what toronto is is becoming and has become someone asked me literally yesterday about um you know what city would i want to live most in the world and i and i've lived in a few big cities or traveled to big cities around the world and you know, like London, mm -hmm. UK, I've been to all the other cities within Canada, like Vancouver, I've been to LA, I've been to New York, I've been to Beijing, I've been to Hong Kong and Tokyo. I I have to say, I actually love living in Toronto. I think we are incredibly diverse. I think our cultural mosaic actually gets better and better um, every year. There, there used to be certain cuisines in Toronto. I was like, oh, okay, I would eat everything except that. that. And I've had to revise that because of just how incredible our cultural mosaic is getting. Um, you know, when when we think about the crime rates or, or like the, the rise in coverage around like TTC transit and, and some of the issues, I think you're right in that it's a big city thing. I hear similar stories when it comes to travel, right? When people want to travel, let's say, to Mexico City or, you know, places in Asia, they're like, oh, no, that's super dangerous. I've read so and so and so. And one thing I would say, I'm like, but millions of people are living there. Mm -hmm. They're going through their daily lives. And, you know, if the thing is as dangerous as you're claiming it's going to be, then frankly, like they would be on a super red travel advisory. and You maybe wouldn't go in. And there are nations, there are cities, there are places in the world that if you go, there's actually really true harm that could possibly come to you at a much higher percentage. But otherwise, it's it's a place. It's a place that, you know, maybe sometimes we, even in Canada, have a very myopic lens about what happens elsewhere in the world. And you really just have to show up, you know, do your yeah. due diligence. Don't just like show up in the middle of, you know, a place with a lot of, I don't know, political unrest and and not really know what you're about to walk into. Mm. Be nuanced, you know, understand what you're about to go into. But most places are cities where people are living and they have their day to day lives. And I think Toronto is an, a, a fine example of that. And I think, I don't know. I, I think, it's a great place to live. I think so too. I think so too. I I think, I mean, the affordability is so vital um, to to get a, a handle on. We've got to do a better job than we've done, w whether we've tried things and didn't work or didn't even try things at all. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what the mix of that is. But you mentioned the poverty rate of of Chinese Canadians being at twenty two percent. White Canadians are at eleven percent. I understand people emigrating from you know China, South Korea, Japan, and they say, well, well, uh, to get established. 
I want to live where my relatives live. I want to feel a kinship. I want to live where my community is. So they do that, but they're also doing it in an incredibly expensive city to start out. It's an incredibly expensive city to go to university now, let alone start a life in and think about buying instead of renting. So I I worry it's I worry the city kind of sets people up for failure by thinking it's Canada. It's great. We'll take care of you, but it's hard. It's it's hard to make ends meet if uh, if you can't get your feet off the ground after a few years. Yeah, I mean it. It's one of those things that I almost feel like that is a whole separate conversation yeah. that I could probably go on for hours about. And there's so many different things, right? Like the, the idea of leaving your leaving your home country for a better life. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Showing up in a country that might you know be. Uh, May a little, you might have worn rose colored glasses and you might have seen it and not realized it's as easy as you thought it is. That's another thing, right? Like when my, you know, my, my parents landed here in the 70s, and my, my father literally lived above a burger shack for years and he was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the, the, the whole kind of struggle is, is a thing and it's probably more difficult as, as a, you know, in, in this current society, um, you know, talking about affordable housing in Toronto, like, that's a very specific, that's a, very difficult subject and if you know you know you think about even the professionals who leave you know china who leave vietnam their doctors their lawyers they come in they become security guards because it's hard for them to take their degrees and establish a life here as a specific as a professional that's that's another issue as well right um i don't know i don't really have the answer to that no. i you know like i said we my family we ended up moving to kitchener waterloo not toronto I'm sure affordability was one of the reasons and they do, you know, it's funny you talk about people leave and then they want to go where their relatives are, you know, our godparents and our cousins, like when they all came over, they all stayed within the same community for that very reason. You know, I said I was the only, I was the only Asian in my neighborhood. I should, I shouldn't say that there was two and then there was three families and it was because literally as they all immigrated over, they decided to like establish a house down the street from us and then around the corner from us. But there's sometimes other reasons, right? Like I know there's um there's a family out in Niagara, a couple who moved from China, and it's because they wanted to own land and become farmers. And so Toronto's wasn't the life for them, but the opportunity to own land and be- and become farmers and work in agriculture was, and they ended up moving to Niagara for that reason. Incredible. Wow. Um, last thing on the month itself, and and it's it's really about being able to see yourself represented in in the arts um it's it's really really important again it's nothing that i would have shrugged my shoulders and thought about or been frustrated by um because of of the color of my skin but i know that whether it's hollywood whether it's the the pop music industry i i feel like it's getting better i feel like it's people are starting to see themselves more on screens on tv movies authors as well are, do you spot that also not not just not just with asian canadians but but all cultures i think it is getting better i'm pretty sure a lot of people saw how joyous we all were when everything everywhere all at once won as mm-hmm. many awards as it did not just because it is i think some truly great cinema but that there was an opportunity to show that you can have a rep like a represented film of people who can be action stars who can you know show nuance of family dynamics but you're not just a tokenized character on screen um i know we had you know we spoke a little bit before i i was a professional actor and a producer for 10 years um uh you know years ago and one of the reasons why i left the industry was because there was a lack of diversity casting and i was tired of 
taking on a tokenized role for a paycheck. And that was just my reality. It wasn't for a lack of trying. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was I did not want to play Asian woman in a business suit, Asian woman in scrubs over and over and over again. I literally wear the same suit on set like the same business suit over and over i'm yeah. like ah, they i was like i don't even care about getting a different suit anymore and i am you know boy to see that there has been an increase of diversity on screen and not just like diversity in terms of race um body types as well age i think there's a kind of I don't know if authenticity is the right word, but I think we as a society want to see just more faces that look like us, like not just people who are just exceptionally glamorized, exceptionally beautiful, like people who are just kind of on in another, just sort of on this like other scale, right? Like the Hollywood standard of beauty. That's what we used to call it in the industry. It's like there's pretty people and then there's the Hollywood standard of beauty. And it's like, but we want to see people that look like us. So even if you're casting diverse characters, if you're casting you know, black characters, Asian characters, Middle Eastern characters, yeah. um, ca uh, different different bodied people, you know, disabled people. I think you need to also just show them they're not just like you, you can have an Asian person who's who's short, who's large, who's older, who's, you know, who is skinny, who has short hair, long hair, blue hair. Right. I think that's that's what diversity is all about. We need to just and also just like not everyone's an immigrant. Not everyone has an accent. Not everyone is someone who just is dealing with what it's like to be the child of an immigrant immigrant maybe i can just be a canadian uh canadian woman i just happen to have different color skin but yeah. i still love pop culture i still love movies i want to talk about marvel i want to talk about star wars yeah yeah that's it like it's not not every um not every african-american man looks like idris elba <laughs> so <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty good looking man right there and they're like hey he's a very good looking we, man. should we get a black character yes does he have to be good looking let's call i just oh, yeah like you're right we can think outside the box a little, a little bit more with some of those uh you know do we need a pilot that looks like tom cruise can we get one that that struggles to get into the seatbelt? like the, of course yeah like the, these are the everyday things that that people wrestle with so you'd think it would be relatable to audiences and i think it is and i think that's why we're trying to move towards mm. that it's not perfect it's going to be a long time change but i i think i have noticed the the dial move towards kind of being more progressive being more open-minded and thinking and i would like to you know I, I would like to see it continue moving and on moving in that direction yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Kihu Kwan story is amazing. Like when you're nine years old and you go see Temple of Doom and he's short round, the, the, like the journey, like I and I couldn't get enough. Every speech, every speech, you know, is going to be different when he wins an award, but every speech is going to end in tears because his story is so incredible. It's so incredible what he's uh, been able to accomplish after being just basically a non-factor in the industry for all those years. It's amazingly lovely. Yes, it it sometimes makes me want to dip my toe back in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> you need your everything everywhere all at once. Uh, a few. Years I need my that. everything everywhere <laughs> all at once. Maroki, thanks for doing this. Really, and and I don't want to. I I hope it won't be the last conversation we have on Toronto today. I'd love to to be able to have more conversations uh, and and dig into your uh, your depth and your perception on things. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate you having me on.